Welcome to the worst nightmare of all. Reality. Explore the lesser-known stories of our unknown world. Join the pursuit of the paranormal with Ash and Greg. Good evening, Ash. How are we doing? Good evening, Greg. Very, very well. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, thanks. Not too bad. Not no too birthday bad. this week. No birthday for either of us this week, no. <laughs> no, and I am post-COVID, so good. I'm back on the mend. Good, good, good. Not yesterday, bit... I, I felt the best I've felt for a while yesterday, so we're all good. Nice one, nice one. There's no birthday this week, but we do have something to celebrate, which we will come on to. So joining us for this week's episode is former guest a friend of ours yep big name ufo researcher is dave hodrian welcome back dave hello thank you great to be back welcome back awesome so like i say we've got some good news to share we're going to be talking about something very very exciting which we have mentioned on the show previously but now it's all happening it's literally happening today as we are it is speaking indeed, yeah. uh, so before we get into that let's leave that as a little bit of a teaser for a second Obviously, you've been a guest on here before, but you want to quickly just introduce yourself. Who is who is Dave? Sure, who is Dave Hedren? So, uh, yeah, as you said, I've been an active investigator now for almost 16 years. Uh, I'm the chairman of Birmingham UFO Group, one of the uh, most active uh, uh, UFO groups in the UK today, uh, and the leading lead investigator for that group as well. Uh, there's another couple of investigators who also help with some of the cases now. Uh, and I'm also the uh, United Kingdom Deputy Representative for ISA, that's the uh, International Coalition for Extraterrestrial Research, uh, an international effort to raise awareness of the reality of the subject to the wider public. Cool. Very, very busy. I also I always see it on social media, posting investigation reports and everything. Very busy doing your monthly meetings and stuff, which is, which is awesome. We'll come on to some of that in a bit, but let's get to the crux of what we're going to talk about today, and that is UFO wave. Indeed. Tell us what, just to start us, what is UFO wave? Sure, yeah. So uh, as well as an active investigator into UFOs, uh, I'm also an avid uh, card and board gamer. have been for many years of my life. Always enjoyed tabletop games, if I think right back to my childhood. Just playing classic games like Scrabble and stuff like that with the family at Christmas and Cluedo and everything. Um, although we stopped playing that after a while because I got too good at the uh, detective thing and <laughs> it really annoyed my parents and they don't want to play it again. They're like, how come you're winning so quickly? So <laughs> so for many years, I had a big interest in tabletop gaming. I'm actually into gaming in general, so I like video gaming as well. But I've always loved uh, just getting around with friends and family around the table. There's something, especially in this electronic world with everything moving virtual, uh, it's something sometimes really nice just to sit there with your friends and that, and just play stuff directly. Uh, and yeah. I've always loved that. Uh, I like uh, cooperative games, but even more so uh, games uh, when it's competitive. You know, when you're trying to kind of race towards victory against your friends and family. And uh, a number of years ago, and we're talking about a good five years now at least. It's ridiculous how time's flown. I decided I wanted to combine my interests and I decided I wanted to make a board or a card game themed on the UFO subject and get it out there. Cool. Now, the reason for that um, is because there's 
they've always used aliens in, in the card games and board games. You can find all sorts of um, tabletop games that contain aliens, but they're usually very straight up sci-fi aliens, laser guns, alien invasions, all that sort of stuff. Mm. Uh, there's very few games which handle the UFO subject in reality in actually what's going on with the cases. And obviously with my experience as, as an active investigator, I wanted to represent that in a card game. And um, yeah, I decided to, I decided it'd be a card game. I mean, I, ha- I had all sorts of ideas about sort of a big board game with miniatures all over the table and this sort of thing. But um, for a first project, it was recommended to me pretty early on that I should start with a card game because it's a lot easier to manufacture a card game. Hmm. You don't need to worry about the printing of 3D miniatures and this sort of thing. So I was like, okay, fine. So that was, that was where it came about. Uh, yeah. The, the name coming out quite fast with that. I thought, UFO wave, it's got to be, hasn't it? It's it's just, uh, I was just thinking of just different aspects of the subject. It kind of fitted in where I wanted to go with the game, really. I suppose the name came around from where I wanted to go with the game. So right from its inception, I wanted to swing things on its head. Now, you might think a game about UFOs, well, you're going to be playing as the humans, aren't you? Maybe trying to track down UFOs and shoot them down or whatever. I wanted to flip it around, and I wanted you to actually play as the alien beings themselves. So that that I went in with that right from the off. I can't remember ever thinking about it aside from that. And I was thinking, how do I how do I build a game around the idea of you playing as an alien species and going about and and doing what is occurring in real life with the subject? And um and it kind of came from that. So then I thought, well, if people are playing alien species and if it's a competitive card game and there's numerous alien species, that means there's lots of craft flying around a particular location. So UFO wave, you could call it UFO hotspot, if you like. That actually made it into the game in another way, which we'll get to. Uh, but once I decided on the uh, on the name for the game, the difficulty was, of course, deciding what type of game it would be. Now, I didn't want to, I didn't want to go down the route where it would be just viewed by people as I'd taken an existing game and just stuck a UFO skin on it and put it out there. Rip, you know, eyes oh, ripped off this such and such a game. I wanted it to be its own thing with its own particular mechanics. Now, it took quite a long period of time to reach that point. Uh, UFO Wave actually went through about five different versions uh, before reaching the, the final one. And some of them I got to the point where we were playing multiple games of it and there was just certain aspects that didn't work for me, like it was taking too long or it was too complex. Uh, or it, it just felt too reminiscent of another game that I knew of. Because, of, co- of course, there's, it's a saturated market. There are literally thousands of board and card games out there. Now, uh, some of your listeners might have only heard of the mainstream ones I mentioned, Scrabble, earlier on. So, you know, Monopoly, there we go, classic one, yeah? So these are the games that make it big, really, really, really big, and they're sold in Dovet Smiths, etc. Yeah? Well, that is a absolutely minuscule minority of the actual number of board and card games that are actually out there. Mm. And there's there's board and card games of pretty much every single subject matter that you can possibly think of uh, and pretty much every single TV show, movie, theatre production, everything you've ever thought of is going to have usually at least one game out themed on it. So... With that in mind, I knew I was entering a market where there were lots and lots of games, but I wanted it to be something genuinely different. So I kept on taking things back to the drawing board and was trying out different ways of manipulating the cards. You know, would it, um, 
some of your listeners, uh, if they've got an interest in card games, if I say the word deck builder game, people might know what I mean by that. They might not. It's a particular type of game where you're collecting cards and building them up throughout the game, getting stronger and stronger as you go until your opponents get wiped out. Uh, but there's already lots and lots of deck builder games out there, and I didn't just want to make it just a UFO-themed deck builder game. I wanted something genuinely unique in a way, something genuinely different, while being absolutely authentic to the source material so that was one of the things i went in from the off is i didn't want any laser guns in the aliens hands or anything like that uh, i wanted it to be genuine and and feel like you were actually taking part in something that was based on the real subject and it's absolutely loaded chocked to the brim full with uh, ufo law all sorts of aspects uh, from from the activities in it to the special abilities you've got we'll go through some of the examples of these in a bit uh, and so that, that's where it came about. Uh, now, one of the other early decisions, of course, was the, the artwork. So once I decided on the type of game, and this was way before we ended up with the final version, this was right back with the first version. It's one of those early decisions. The problem is with card game development, yeah, is you don't have the game, yeah, so... But you want to present the game, you want to show people the game, you want to be like, check this out, it's amazing, I made this. Well, what are you going to show them? Are you going to show them little pieces of cardboard that you've written with a biro pen on? Doesn't look very exciting, does it? Yeah. So quite early on, I decided I wanted to get the art done up front. Now, it's quite rare that a company genuinely does that. Uh, most of the time, card game developers will, they might get a few, a few pieces of art done, and then they'll say the rest comes once we've got the money. And once the game's been created, uh, but for me, I wanted to go up front with the artwork and just pay the artists up front and get get the art done because I wanted to wow people with how the cards looked quite early on. Now they are, they are phenomenal. They are really, really thank good, you. Good artwork. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I was I was very pleased with how it turned out. Now I had a choice between taking it down a kind of serious route uh, with sort of very detailed art pieces, or taking it down a more accessible route with uh, cartoon-type uh, visuals. Now, I chose the latter, and there's a number of reasons why I chose that. So, first of all, it kind of appeals to me. I've got a bit of a sense of humour. Uh, I can see... I, I, I mean, I know more than most the seriousness of the real subject. Yeah, I work with uh, people who experience contacts and things regularly, and I understand that it, it wrecks families, it breaks apart people's relationships, causes long-term phobias, all sorts of things, yeah. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that you can't have fun with the subject. Classic yeah, case in point is the Men in Black movies that came out. Yeah, uh, they, you know, they weren't they weren't directly taking the mick. They were just looking at the subject in a kind of fun way and implementing aspects of it. And you could view UFO Wave the same, sort of similar to that, um, but a lot more accurate to the actual subject. So, with that in mind, I wanted to make it more accessible for people. I wanted it to be suitable for both older kids and adults. I didn't want it to be just something just for adults. I've got a 12-year-old daughter, and I wanted her to be invested in the game as well. I wanted her to be able to play it and enjoy it and, and have fun. It's definitely a, a family game. It's not just for adults. It's, um, it's for older children. And on the box, it says age eight and up. Um, we decided that um, an eight-year-old would probably grasp the uh, the concepts of the strategy in the game. You could probably teach it to a seven- or six-year-old if they were if they were very adept at playing games and already uh, already playing other card games. Um, so with that in mind, that, again, the, the cartoon visuals kind of lent itself to that. Uh, so once I've gone down this kind of fun route with it and we just established it was going to be cartoon artwork, then I had to decide who's going to do that artwork, right? 
Well, I knew who was going to do the artwork, yeah. That's a fun little story, this is. I knew who was going to be do, doing the artwork for over 25 years. <laughs> wow. Uh, and the reason I knew that is that I discovered this artist's work right back when I was at university. Oh, wow. And, uh, I went to university down in Plymouth, and I remember coming across his artwork online, just randomly finding it on Google. He was drawing lots of pictures with aliens and uh, UFOs and things in, and I was like, you could tell from the things he was drawing that the guy knew the subject. He was drawing all sorts of things that made sense, and he obviously had a he was he was wise to the subject. He looked into it a lot, and I really liked his kind of quirky cartoon art style. It was, uh, yeah, it was it was fun looking. It was really good, and I remember I remember these art pieces. Yeah, so we fast forward to about five years ago. Yeah, and I'm thinking. And so I go down this cartoon route and I'm thinking, I wonder if I can find him. I wonder if I can trap down that artist. But, you know, it's, it's like over 20 years on, yeah. Is he even an artist anymore? Can I find him? Didn't have his name or anything, by the way. So, oh, wow. <laughs> so that makes thinking, it a little bit harder. Well, absolutely, yeah. So uh, what I did is I decided to get on Google and I started searching and searching and searching. And after pages and pages of searching, all of a sudden, I came up with one of his old art pieces, yeah. From that, happened to have his signature in the corner with his first initial and his wow. surname. Off the back of that, I then started looking around for active artists with that initial and that surname, and I found him. No and way. He's an active artist in New York City. Uh, oh, wow. I, um, I remember getting in touch with him. I didn't know what to expect, yeah. I, I got in touch with him just on a video call. I just said, look, I'm a, I'm a UK-based UFO investigator. I remembered your artwork from years ago, came across it online, and would you be interested in doing the artwork for a UFO-themed card game that I've got in my head that I want to create? And he was... That's, uh, a, that's an opening line, isn't it? <laughs> and he was absolutely... Uh, he was absolutely blown away. He was, he was, he was beyond pleased. Uh, now, Amazing. I'm very pleased to say that he offered a... a, a uh, a decent offer because that was the problem is it wasn't going to charge me a small fortune for this and be outside my budget but luckily, he's not Banksy or somebody like that is he it's, it could be because who knows who Banksy really is <laughs> exactly <laughs> I could be Banksy I'm gonna I'm, I'm, I'm not saying I am but you can put that out there there you go we started conspiracy <laughs> right there Dave Hodron from Birmingham UFO Group that's, that's one for the conferences uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> starts with the letter B you see that's, uh, yeah, anyway yeah. so uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> So I got in touch with him, and in our initial discussion, I realised, and I soon discovered that he's had experiences. He was uh, an alien contactee himself. Wow. He'd had uh, numerous contact experiences since childhood, and this is why he had a passion for the subject, and this is why he was drawing it in his artwork. And even more modern pieces that he'd done had little greys in and little UFOs and things here and there. Uh, some of the pieces weren't anything to do with the subject of UFOs, but you could see from time to time he was implementing aspects of the subject in there in, in his drawings still. And, destiny. Um, That's destiny yeah. for him to be it is, the it? artist. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and he'd never done the artwork for a, uh, a cardboard game before, uh, only, only ever straight-up art, art pieces. And he was he was overjoyed that I'd gone in touch. So, uh, Amazing. Yeah, so he went for it. So he had the art down, and it took a while, obviously, for that art to um, uh, to be to be created. I, I I basically just went through all the different card types I had planned out in my head. Uh, we started with the front box image, uh, and also our mascot, which I'll get onto. But 
Uh, yeah, the, and then from there we went on to the different card types and exactly what I wanted to see on the cards. Just gave him rough ideas, loose ideas of here's what I want in this image and, and he'd just come up with things. We went backwards and forwards quite a bit. You know, I, I was quite pedantic with some of the, some of the things I wanted him just right. Um, the uh, the front box art, I'm really, really pleased with. I kind of had this image on the front would be this. Because you're all playing as different alien species, I wanted to kind of get the species all, all there together. And I wanted them to be kind of ha- kind of facing off on one another, almost having a bit of a scrap. Oh, there we go. Yeah, he's got it on the video there. Um, in the background, you've got the um, snap. We've got one right here. Um, hey. In the background, you've got numerous uh, numerous uh, ship types. We've got a, a saucer there, a flying triangle craft, and a cigar. Uh, and there's also the men in black and military in the background as well behind it all. Uh, yes. So straight away in that initial front piece, you can see a lot of aspects of the subject in there from the types of beings that I've, uh, I've chosen. Uh, yeah, back to our mascot. So one of the other, other early things I decided on was I wanted a mascot for the game. I wanted a face for the game. Absolutely. What am I going to choose? It's got to be a grey, hasn't it? And it's got to be a grey because they're the most commonly described um, type of uh, ET, if you will, being whatever you want to call them. Um, are they a species? We, do, we don't really know. I was going to come on to that. That's yeah. a question for later. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, and we can talk about that in more depth, absolutely. Uh, but, yeah, essentially they're the, the, the most recognisable type of, uh, of ET. They are the face of aliens, aren't they? Are, they? Yeah, they are the brand image. Yeah. Indeed, yeah. And they're known by everybody. I mean, you know, you yeah. get breakfast cereals with them on. <laughs> Good old Space yeah. Raiders crisps. They're, they're, they're yeah. everywhere. Um, yeah. uh, so it had to be a grey. And uh, I come up with the name Bob. I don't know why. I think maybe I just wanted something short and sweet and snappy. Maybe a bit like Paul, maybe because of the film Paul. And, I, and in actual, I wanted him to be a bit like Paul, to have a bit of a kind of sarky kind of attitude, kind of friendly, but a bit, bit sarcastic. <laughs> Um, maybe like myself. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Anyway, so I came up with uh, came up with Barbie. Yeah, he's got a uh, he's, well. I've got. I, I even got a plushie of, of him done. I don't, you're not going to be able to. See, you can see him on the video there. But um, awesome. are they yeah, are they for sale? Can you buy a Bob? No, a few bear? people have actually asked whether they could buy Bobs. But if the game if the game really takes off, now it's live um, and um, and uh, it's popular, then maybe in in, in due course. Um, cool. uh, this, this one I got I got done especially for promotional purposes, and it cost the uh, non-small price of one hundred and fifty pound. Wow! Um, that's wow. when you're getting an individual plushie done specially uh, based on design. But I was very pleased with uh, that. Yeah, had, had a bit of trouble, cool. Had a bit of trouble with his head because of the size of his uh, cranium, uh, trying to, and on top of the thin neck, it was it was very very difficult <laughs> for, for him to actually sit upright. But he kind of just about manages it. Uh, and yeah, we used him in the advertising of the game in the early days of it. He's got a belt with some kind of alien alien type writing around around it, sort of hieroglyphic type writing, and, that, and some buttons and things on his chest. But I was I was pleased with how he turned out, and um, yeah, and he's become the face of UFO Wave. Uh, so yeah, from that point onwards, it was a case of just working out exactly what cards I wanted in the game and how it was going to work. Um, and we can go into that uh, next if you guys, yeah, yeah, crack on. Uh, if you've got any questions, for you know, I, I know I'm I'm spilling here. There's a lot lots of information. I just wanted to mention because you mentioned the box, and I I play different card games, Magic, and different types of ones. I've never seen so. I mean, the box is top quality. Like just looking at the box, that would be it's heavy duty, really protects the cards. It's got like magnetic snap. On the, yeah, that was one on of the, the other things, things. I really liked. Good quality was... box. 
the the magnetic flip top thing. Yeah, we were talking about component. We're kind of jumping around here, but yeah, on the components front, I've always liked magnetic flip tops for card games. I find them like really easy to kind of pack away and, and get out the cards, and they just look classy. And I was like, it's going to cost a bit extra in development, and it did. Um, I won't say how much, but it did. Um, but I wanted that, you know. And so from the off, I was like, we're going to have a magnetic flip top with it. Yeah, just, on, just on that note, yes. When we first spoke to you about UFO Wave way back, you were launching the Kickstarter, and I know that went super well. Yes. Um, and then you started pushing sort of the the goal target and everything of Kickstarter, the Kickstarter of it. So I know this has been like a great ride for you, and I know we we spoke before. It's been a I, I I think I said on the previous one that if nothing else, your absolute passion for this, I think that was my exact words, your absolute passion for this comes across like nothing else. And that still stands true. I could sit there, and as I am now, and just listening to you just talking <laughs> your, your passion, which has been your passion for... And your yeah, like, yeah. My, midlife, like, my passion yeah. or my midlife crisis, you decide. <laughs> uh, we've all had one of them, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, well, actually, while we're on the components, yeah. So uh, obviously, we got the uh, the box. Very pleased with that. And I had to choose whether I wanted the gloss or matte. I thought the uh, uh, they, the manufacturer I went with they recommended the gloss because uh, it would allow the colours to pop. And uh, UFO Wave has some very. Uh, I wanted the colours of UFO Wave to be like black with like bright, bright, vibrant um, colours, and uh, it's it's turned out really well. And uh, yeah, the the gloss helps with that on on the outside of the box. Uh, the uh, the manual. I wanted to do like a um, top secret government document, uh, the the UFO wave field guide, as it's called. We got a little picture, a little photograph of Bob up there. Uh, it says classified with uh, men in black at the at the top right and top secret. So yeah, and in, inside the manual, so Bob takes you through the aspects of the game, and it's all it's all written in. Um, uh, in in proper typewriter script, so it just looks like a top secret document all the way through. When it's got color in it, you know, obviously it's colored card pictures and that. But that was the theme we went with for the uh, for the for the manual, uh, and I'm very pleased with how that turned out too. Um, that looks really cool. So uh, yeah, uh, let's let's discuss the game and what happens with it and, and why it's different. So uh, essentially, in UFO Wave, as, as I said, you actually play as an alien species. Um, and I wanted to include the main types of beings that are seen. Uh, you could call them species. I've called them species in the game. That doesn't necessarily mean that they are. Um, there's there's actually plenty of reports where people have um, have seen things that kind of appear to be kind of a mix of two of them and this sort of thing. But then there's a lot of crossbreeding and things going on going on with it with the hybrid program. Uh, so yeah, what I went with is the um, the, the main types that I've genuinely uh, talked about in contact cases I've investigated around the world, and loads going back. Now, there's lots and lots of other alien species that are, uh, are seemingly out there. If you if you added them all up, I think somebody said there's at least like 96. I think it was somebody quoted somewhere. That said, a lot of those a lot of those are going to be individual cases where one person has claimed to have seen a particular type of being. Yeah. The beings that I've included in this are, are, are reported hundreds of times, all of them. So there's lots of repeated cases. So first of all, you've got the uh, the greys. Um, then you've got the uh, Nordics, otherwise known as humanoids or Pleiadians, if you will. 
Uh, they're seen almost as often as greys, although some people think that they were only seen back in the 60s and 70s and not anymore. That's not actually true at all. That's just what public perception of that is. I deal with, uh, I do, I've dealt with modern day cases involving Nordic still. And uh, they usually got the, uh, the classic kind of blonde or pale hair, um, body suits, usually blue, silver color, or white robes. So I wanted them in the game, definitely. Uh, now, obviously, we could talk about the different beings and and certain aspects of them all night, of course. Uh, you could just take one of them and talk about it all night. We're not going to do that because we've got lots to cover. Uh, so, yeah, so next I've got the uh, reptilians in there as well, uh, also seen quite regularly, not as often as greys or, or Nordics. <laughs> uh, some people view them as, uh, as evil, and I'm not going to say that they're not, and I'm not going to say they're good either. I, I think that, like the human race, it's complex. Ooh, I like that. Like the human race, it's complex. Yeah, I yeah. think you're absolutely bang on there. So there's, I've, I've, dealt with cases where, I've dealt with cases where people have had um, conversations with friendly reptilians where they haven't been frightened of them and they've been working alongside greys, like seen at the same time as greys. And I've dealt with cases where they've been seen at the same time as Nordics working on alongside one another in the craft. Yeah, So there's definitely appears to be linked agendas going on with this uh so it's a lot it's a lot less black and white hmm. uh, it's more gray <laughs> <No problem>. <laughs> <laughs> okay so we've got the reptilians are in there of course uh, we've also got the mantids <laughs> i didn't mean to press that <laughs> oh, that was a brilliant uh, added sound effect there at that one point love it um he's, yeah, the, he's uh, in charge <laughs> he's in charge of the the hosting account effects. today, uh, I've lost, and I've he's lost got the sound phone. effects. He's got <laughs> his sound effects, effects, and he's just pressing buttons. He's just interjecting with random sound effects at random points. It's awesome. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, so we've got the mantids in there. So I've only, <laughs> I've re- in realistically, there's about twenty cases of investigated, hundreds. So they're quite rare, um, but they are regularly seen. Obviously, very tall and insectoid-looking things. Most of the people listening, I don't need to go into the different types in too much depth because I'm sure. Most of the people listening yeah. will have heard of these. Uh, I also included the hybrids. As I said, this is a realistic UFO game. This is uh, this is probably the first game ever, or one of the only games ever, to include the uh, alien-human hybrids in it, I'd imagine. Uh, they're in there as their own separate species, so you can play as the hybrids. Uh, wow. And then lastly, you've got the shadow beings, uh, the tall, shadowy, uh, some may say paranormal entities that are seen often by experiencers uh, and i wanted to i wanted to represent in the game the crossover we've got between the ufo subject and the world of the paranormal so they're in there for that now, some people that. will some people will say other oh, shadow beings are just greys in disguise and sometimes there have been cases where they've started like that and then they've changed into the form of a gray and uh, you've got a lot of complexity to it because you've got things like screen memories where they can change their appearance. By the way, screen memories in the game too. It's awesome. absolutely loaded with aspects. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the shadow beings are in there as a species. So you choose your species at the start of the game and it can be done randomly uh, or you can choose your favourite, like maybe the species you're most interested in. Or But each one has its own particular advantages. So this is gives the game some of its playability and replayability, I should say. So you can play as different species and they're going to get different bonuses each time and you're going to be after um, different uh, different things, different agendas, shall we say. Uh, so uh, that, that gives it a bit of replayability on that one. Uh, there are other things that also do that. Obviously, the game, being a card game, is replayable in the first place because you never know what order the cards are going to come out mm-hmm. in and what's going yeah. to happen. And the order of the cards is everything in this as you'll discover when we start discussing the mechanics more 
let's get back to the card types. So as the alien species, you've got to imagine you're playing as an alien species, you're flying around in your craft. What can you see? Uh, well, uh, what you can see in the vicinity is represented by a line of cards on the table known as the scan. Uh, and this represents what you can see in both the air and on the ground in the local area. So you have to imagine you and your opponents are flying around in, in their various craft and you can all see the same things in the local area and the right, right for pickings, resources, shall we say. So uh, first of all, you've got activities. So activity cards are basically tasks that you're going to perform. Uh, examples include uh, an abduction uh, or a, a landing. Uh, we've got the crop formation uh, aspect of the, the subject is in there. Whatever your views on crop formations, whether you believe that it's entirely man-made or partially man-made or whatever, is irrelevant. It's part of the UFO subject, so had to go in there. Uh, you, uh, the animal mutilation subject is in there. Now, the, I know there's people, when I say that, there's going to be people listening thinking, didn't you just say the game was family-friendly? Uh, now, I understand that the mutilation subject is an extremely dark part of the UFO subject, yeah. Um, that said, it's a valid aspect of it, and it had to go in there. But it's been done very inoffensively. Uh, the card's actually called Harvest, not Mutilation, and it's basically just got a cartoon drawing of a dead cow on it. Um, originally, originally, the artist drew it with the, uh, the, the lower jaw flesh missing, and I, I went on that and I said, this is you know, it's for children as well as adults. We need to... We need to play this easy, and I didn't want I didn't want anybody to be offended by it in any way, and I and I didn't want anybody th or in, in any way thinking that I was trying to glorify the animal mutilation subject, you mm. know, because it's a very dark aspect of the subject, but it is in there in a non-offensive way. Cool. So, so with those activities, you you perform activities to gain uh, victory points. Victory points in the game are called ET points. And uh, the more ET points you've got, the, 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 the better you're doing at commanding your alien species, essentially. So you're, so you're, you're out there to try to score ET points in the game. Uh, now, I said ET there, and some people are probably listening, and they're like, oh, I don't think they're extraterrestrial, they're extra-dimensional. And that's absolutely fine. There's, there's all sorts of... Uh, my, my own theories on it, really, I, I suppose, I, I probably think that they are extraterrestrial with extra-dimensional capabilities, yeah. But I, do I think that that's the only origin of all of everything that's going on with the subject? Probably not. Uh, there's there's numerous other things that could be like things coming back through time and this sort of thing. And I think that all of those origins are, are perfectly valid. Uh, have got different evidence supporting them. There's even evidence out there that would say that these are man-made and and that there's some sort of military construction. I don't believe that they are, by the way. Um, I, I don't. Th I think that if it was that. Then I think that by now there would have been plenty of leaks of that uh, of that top secret worldwide project, incidentally, mm. and and it would be out in the open, and that hasn't happened. Uh, that said, there could have always been living here. I mean, as I said, we can, again we can talk for hours on on potential origins of these beings. Yeah, but I'll call them ET points anyway. Back to it. <laughs> Sorry, it's very easy to start to start. Oh yeah. <laughs> especially because i tried to put so much into this game there's so many aspects of the subject in this game and each one of them is quite complex but i wanted to i wanted people to understand my reasoning behind things uh so that's activities so um the activities are all in a line you can take them on your turn you're just taking cards off this line now that would be really easy wouldn't it you just take it in turns you 
grabbing cards. Brilliant. You're going to go for the ones with the most points, obviously. And you're just going to build up. That would be uh, probably the most boring game in the history of gaming ever, if that, if that was where it ended. It gets a lot more complex. So you've got uh, humans. So humans, groups of inquisitive humans who are out there, who are most of the time they're trying to stop you. Uh, so we've got in there the, uh, the military, of course. Uh, we've got the men in black in there. Uh, there are even Skywatchers. Skywatchers are in there. Uh, obviously, Skywatchers. I, I mean, I'm a Skywatcher. Yeah, probably most of the listeners are Skywatchers. Uh, but in this, they're kind of bad. They have a negative effect because they're kind of on the lookout for you, and you're supposed to be working covertly. So if they're spotting you, that's going against that. Now, the uh, the humans are also on the scan, and if they're nearby to an activity, they're essentially going to be guarding that activity. And if you perform that activity by taking that card. They're going to spot you because they're near it. Now, when they spot you, they start watching you instead. So they come and they sit in front of you. You take the card, put it in front of yourself. Most of the humans have a negative effect either at the end of the game when you're adding up your final score or during the game itself. Uh, and you, you, most of them you don't want in front of you. Uh, I, I did want to represent uh, UFO believers, UFO enthusiasts, whatever you want to call them. Uh, so there's a believers card in there. And uh, these are positive humans who actually want believers to, to spot you. So it's kind of imagine your kind of little group, your little following a cult. <laughs> I don't want to go down that road. Okay. So essentially, you're trying to get the believers to come and, uh, come and uh, watch you. So you might perform an activity on purpose because it's got believers next to it, and then they'll spot you. And they actually give you advan- advantages instead of disadvantages in the game. I won't go into specifics as to exactly which, because we'll be here all night. If we go through the depth, that's the way that humans work. Uh, next, you've got energy. Uh, so there's pockets of energy uh, that are in the air. Some of them are positive and other ones more negative. So they're either going to have a good effect or a bad effect. Now, you can't take energy cards directly off the scan, but if you do something nearby to an energy card, you automatically soak it up. So if you perform an activity and it's nearby a pocket of energy, you're also going to soak up that energy, whether it's good or bad. So... The positioning of the cards is everything in UFO Wave. This is where the mechanics come in. Where the cards are positioned makes them more or less favourable to taking on your turn, essentially. Um, uh, so with the with the humans, actually, no, we're, we're, sorry, we'll we'll get to that with the craft. Um, so uh, yeah, so the last card type that you'll get in the scan, it doesn't actually end up on the line. It's something called events. It's a one-off activity, one-off things that happen, and they affect all players when they come when they're drawn out of the deck. Uh, now, you shuffle in two at random at the start of every game, and the game has come with 15. There was originally 10 planned. We added an extra five through the Kickstarter process, which is the crowdfunding process by which I launched UFO Wave originally. Uh, so uh, those, those are bonus cards that we added later on. So there's 15 in there, and you're shuffling in two. You never know which two are going to be in there. You never know when they're going to come out. You never know... Uh, whether they're going to affect you at that point of the game in a good way or a bad way. Sometimes they can be a help. Other times they can be a hindrance. Uh, sometimes they can help all players. Other times they can be absolute cause absolute carnage, depending on, on what comes out. So again, it creates this kind of replayability for going through the game again, uh, so you never know what's going to happen and when. Uh, some, of the, uh, some of the events in there are things like yeah, there's a UFO crash in there. And um, with that, everybody has to lose a craft card. I'm getting ahead of myself because we haven't talked about craft yet. But <laughs> uh, there, uh, we've got um, there is actual there's a hot spot in there. Um, we've got uh, a, a vortex which essentially shuffles up all the players' cards. So you're giving your cards, and you end up with a, a whole load of new cards. 
Let's talk about what the cards that are in your hand. This is the other main deck of the game called the plan. So you've got the scan, which is the line of cards on the table. You've got the plan, which is the cards you're holding in your hand. Now, these are made up of two different types of cards. as powers and craft. Uh, powers represent advanced abilities that you've got through either yourself as an alien species uh, or, the, or the technology that you've got at your disposal. Uh, and some of them affect the scan in various ways. So they might remove a card from the scan or they might change the order of the scan line. Uh, or as an, an example of one is stealth mode. So uh, you can make your craft invisible, allowing you to perform an activity without nearby humans spotting, spotting you. Now, the, the powers actually come in two different levels. There's a basic level and an advanced level on each card, two different effects that can occur. And when you play a power on your turn, the basic effect takes effect. And it might it might do something with a scan line. It might be an offensive type card and attack your one of your opponents in a certain way. Um, my my daughter loves to continuously bully me and send all the cards on my way on purpose. I think uh, her whole aim is to give me the lowest number of points at the end of the game. She doesn't care about what points she gets herself. Uh, and and then so and other ones are more defensive. So there's a uh, there's one of them which is a uh, protective aura that you can put over something on the scan line uh, if you want to take it on a later turn and it blocks it so you can pick it up later. There's all sorts of tactics you can use. You can um, you can play multiple powers at once together. So you can play them in a row to have certain effects. You can play sometimes up to four powers in a row just to just to do something really spectacular uh, and and just get the best cards out there and block other cards from other people and all sorts of things as there's a lot of tactics to it it's easy to understand but there's deep strategy to it that you can learn over time that will give you an edge there's always going to be a luck element because it's a card game most board games except for chess and drafts and that have have an element of luck to them um, and the, the majority, pretty much every single card game ever has gotten at least some element a lot to it. So obviously you might not have the right cards at the right time, but you can plan ahead. You can keep back cards or you can just on your first turn, just go berserk and just use them all at once. Uh, <laughs> <That'd be> me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you, you will build up, you will build up plan cards throughout the game slowly. So if you wait a number of turns, you'll get more cards come to your hand. Um, that, yeah, how you play them and when is entirely up to you uh, and that leads on nicely to the other type of card that's in your hand, craft so I wanted to represent the different um, UFOs that are seen by people uh, we've got a saucer classic flying saucers in there we've got a flying triangle uh, we've got a cigar craft and lastly we've got something called a shapeshifter which essentially looks like a food fighter, like glowing orb of, of light and uh, the shapeshifter can uh, shapeshift into one of the other crafts. So it's essentially like a wild card. So you can use it as a saucer or as a flying triangle um, or just any of the other any of the other craft. Now, how do you use craft? So if you play a craft at the same time as a power card, it's going to advance that power to its advanced level, making that power more impressive on that particular turn. Uh, so you can do that with your craft. And when you play them with what powers is entirely up to you. Um, and if you keep hold of them too long, maybe another player will manage to steal them off you and you'll be disappointed. Uh, so maybe you play them early because of that. Uh, there's something else that craft can be used for. You can use them to lead away humans who've spotted you. So remember earlier on I was talking about how the humans, they spot you, they come and they're watching you and they're in front of you. If you play two craft of the same type, like let's say you collect two uh, flying saucers and then you play them together, you can lead away that human and discard them off yourself. So 
essentially getting rid of that negative effect. So do you keep your craft back to try to build up sets, allowing you to get rid of humans in front of you? Or do you play them with your powers? That's entirely up to you. Again, that's where the strategy of the game comes in. But I've designed it so that it's easy to pick up and understand. By the end of your first game, at first you might be like, whoa, there's a lot going on here. But by the end of your first game, you'll have it down and and you'll be absolutely fine with it. And like I say, my, my daughter plays it all the time. And, and and she's not like a full-on card gamer, by the way, as well. It's very So there might be some people out there who are like, okay, this is great. It's all themed on UFOs, but I don't really play card or board games much. I'm not really a tabletop gamer. But most people in their life will have played basic card games. <laughs> Take it right back. Snap. Okay. It's a lot more it's a lot more complex than snap, yeah. <laughs> but what I'm saying is you will be able to learn how to play UFO Wave and you will be able to pick it up. Um and you could actually use it as an educational tool uh if you wanted to uh to um present the UFO subject in an in an approachable way uh to your to your own children. It's it's inoffensive and it's uh, but it's loaded with absolutely loads of aspects of the subject all the way through it. Are you receiving me? Yes, Father. Loud and clear. What are your orders? I need you to get out there and cause some mischief. What kind of mischief, Commander? The usual kind. Perform some reconnaissance of the local area. Abduct a number of humans for genetic sampling. Leave a few cryptic messages in crop fields. Harvest some biological material from livestock. Lead a number of landing expeditions. There's also some tech which we need to retrieve. But watch out. As always, the humans will be there to stop you. Their military patrols the skies. They watch us from the ground, and the less said about those pesky men in black, the better. You are authorized to use our highly advanced craft to accomplish your goals, and don't forget to make the most of our abilities too. The humans won't know what hit them. One last thing, we aren't the only ones out there. Other species have been detected in the vicinity. They'll no doubt provide some healthy competition. I won't let you down. I knew I could count on you. It's a big world out there. Time to get to work. UFO Wave, the tactical card game of alien supremacy. Now available on Amazon.co.uk. So yeah, so essentially, what you're doing is you're you're collecting these uh, activities and energy, and you're building up a score pile throughout the game. You're playing your powers and your craft to manipulate the game in various ways and gain the upper hand on your opponents. At the end of the game, essentially, what you do is just add up your points. Quite easy to do. You're just adding them up. Now, I'm going to return to the species a minute at this point because I said earlier on you've got species and they've got their particular advantages. Well, each species favours a particular activity type. So if you're playing as the greys, they are actually trying to perform abductions. Now, all the species can perform abductions in the game, but the greys get more points for performing abductions. So they're going to get bonus points. So a card's going to be worth more points to you if you're playing as the greys, the abductions you're especially going to be looking out for, because you're going to add on extra points to gain the upper hand at the end of the game. 
So, but your opponents also know that you're the greys. So if they're playing it strategically, they'll they'll purposely get the abductions or maybe even remove them off the scan. So you so you won't have a chance of getting them on your turn. So this is where the nuances and the and the adva- um, the strategy of the game comes in. Now it's very easy to play the game in a non-strategic way. You can easily just have fun with it and just pick up cards and not really think about what you're doing too much. Uh, and you can most games usually last for about thirty to forty-five minutes. So it's not it's not a massively long card game. It's it's one you can just get out at the start of a gaming night or just have a few games of or whatever. Um, you know, you lose one game, you can easily replay it again a second time, you know, try to get the other hand next time. Um, and it's very, very easy to kind of pack away because of the uh, because of the box. Uh, I've also designed a, an optional uh, playmat for UFO Wave. Uh, now, the, the playmat, it doesn't come with the game as standard. It's an extra. Uh, you can buy it as a separate product. Uh, there it is. That's just, that's just holding it Look up on the video. I'm very proud of it. I'm very proud. It's yeah, it's covered in all sorts of uh, nice neon uh, artwork, kind of alien symbology, different uh, species, different craft in there, all all sorts of stuff in the background. Uh, but it's also because of its dark color makes the cards really pop. Looks really really nice on the table, uh, and it's got guidance lines to help you lay out the decks and 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 the scan line throughout the game, uh, which most people I've spoken with are saying it's just. You know, they say they really enjoy playing it with the mat. So while while you can play UFO Wave entirely without the mat, it's it's there as an extra purchase if you want it. It's uh, really high quality as well, like the box. It's really yeah, it's I'm pleased good, how it's tell it is good quality stuff. It's yeah, it yeah, looks it's nice. It feels backing, nice. Nice edging and, and things. Yeah, it's turned out beautiful. And uh, I, I like the uh, the neon thing. It's something I went with. I think it leads back to me being a bit of a retro head, really, because I grew up in the eighties and I. Uh, and I, and I love I love all that. I love the sort of neon retro colours. So I wanted a bit of that sort of vibe with it as well. And and you get that with the with the black and the bright colours on it. So um so yeah, I'm very pleased with that. And it's it's completely crease free. You can fold it up however you like. So uh, so even though it's quite big when it's laid out on the table, you can roll it up or just fold it into eighths or whatever, and it'll fold out flat again in no time at all. So I'm very very pleased with that. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of an overview of how UFO wave works essentially now i've played hundreds and hundreds of card games over the years and i've never played a game that plays the same as ufo wave uh in fact it's very very rare that i've seen a game that even has positioning of cards on a line of cards as a, as a thing there's a few out there but this has not been based on any of those existing ones it's basically my own design from from the off I wanted to do something that was genuinely different while at the same time completely makes sense to what you're doing as an alien species and how you're interacting. And I believe I've achieved that. And I'm very, very proud of what I've created um, both with the, uh, with the interesting mechanics while remaining completely authentic to the real UFO subject. Uh, It's my baby. Uh, And I've done it as a passion project. It's uh, I am at the moment I'm, I'm, very, very, very much in debt with the project. Um, as you can imagine, it wasn't cheap to design and and get this developed and manufactured. Uh, it's uh, one day maybe I hope to break even with it. I, I went into it not with money making at all as uh, as a, as a thing. It was it, I just want I just had the idea that I wanted to make a really authentic UFO card game and get it out there into the world professionally. So I've, I've done that. Uh, I released the game through my company, Paradigm Games, which is a sole trader company I set up. I decided uh, uh, 
towards the start wanted like uh, a game uh, a game logo on there a game company logo really just in case in the future if i decide to make any other games i could i could release them again through paradigm games or some sort of expansion for ufo wave and that's totally based on how well it does essentially and if it does really well you know that's something i'd very much um, may may consider in years to come uh, but it's a, it's a long way off at the moment obviously i'm i'm hoping that now it's out there it's uh, it's appreciated and picked up by both the UFO community and the gaming community. Uh, I think it's a I think it's a strong title coming at it from a gamer, not from the designer of it. I think it's a strong title with its own nice artwork and its own mechanics, and and it's just great fun to play. I've played it over a hundred times with my friends and family now. I play tested it at infinitum, and it's always great fun to have a go at you know, every time. I'm not just. I'm. I'm saying that as a game, and not 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 as some sort of ad. You must go and buy it. So, you know, it's, it's just. A, it's it. I made it, and it's out there. It went out there today. It launched on Amazon.co.uk. Now, unfortunately, for anybody listening who's in another country, um, I did want to sell it internationally. I wanted it to go worldwide, but the reality is that selling something worldwide requires a hell of a lot of budget, uh, way outside of my budget limit. Uh, so at the moment, it's for sale in, in Great Britain on Amazon.co.uk. Um, in the future, if it does really well, I may be able to start shipping internationally. However, I will sort out orders on a one-by-one basis privately internationally. And uh, if, if anybody wanted to get in touch, so if you live in America or whatever and you, and you wanted to copy the game, if you get in touch with Paradigm Games via our email address, which you'll find on the website of the game, then um, that can certainly be arranged i mean wow i mean the game you can see like greg mentioned earlier the passion you have and like we we followed it for must be two years now i think since we first sort of it started coming out since we first spoke to you about it and it's been I've so seen... long i can't believe <laughs> yeah. i can't believe how yeah. long it's taken is that everybody's been asking what's been going on since kickstart it's just the process is crazy the, even the process of just setting up the Amazon account very very difficult. It's uh, and I've been, and every step of the way I've been guessing essentially. There's no real experts. Well, there, there is, but it's very very difficult for somebody who who has, hasn't released something commercially before how that all works. And I've been making all sorts of guesses and ending up in weird dead ends that I didn't expect to end up in, and making decisions that I've then later thought, oh, I shouldn't have done that. I should have done it this way instead, and had to backtrack and all sorts of things. Yeah, it's been an, an an uphill battle to get to where it is, but I'm very proud of it. Yeah, it should be. Like, see, we're here now. We're, I mean, we we called this a few days ago. As we recorded, and it is the day that it went live on Amazon. It was yep. be a couple of days ago from when we were releasing this episode. But it's just. Yeah, to see the journey and to be with you on the day it goes out for to be recording this, it's just I mean, all the hard work is obviously it's worth it. It's Yes. And hopefully we'll we'll see a lot of people taking interest, which I'm sure they will. I mean the Kickstarter when when yeah. that first went live and the amount of backing that got like straight away, I just kept refreshing it, it just kept going up and up and up on the Kickstarter. Yeah, I was, I was like, very yes. pleased with that, yeah, because uh, I mean with Kickstarter it's very difficult. It's, uh, you've got crowdfunding and essentially for those listening who don't know what that is. Uh, crowdfunding essentially means that you collect the money first and then you use the money to to make the product because uh, strange enough I'm not massively rich or anything so so I couldn't afford to make thousands and thousands of copies of the game or anything like that. Uh, so so essentially you get people to back the products it's a bit like Dragon's Den I guess you get people to back the product and then with that money that they they put down on it you then 
getting manufactured. Now, uh, with Kickstarter, it, it was on there for a month, and we hit our goal within three days, which was brilliant. Amazing. Um, mm. I was really pleased when that happened. It was a yeah, quite an exciting time, and that allowed me then to to get it manufactured in China and, and shipped out worldwide. And with the Kickstarter, it did go worldwide because that's the way that it works with Kickstarter. But unfortunately, the reality when you get down to commercial level now is that there's a lot of hidden costs involved in in selling in America or France or whatever, all sorts of stuff, uh, trademarks to, to worry about and having uh, instructions in, in each individual language, et cetera, et cetera. It's quite a complex piece. So, but maybe one day we'll have to wait and see on that on that front. Uh, it's, it's had lots of uh, it's had lots of great reviews. So uh, obviously, it's been out for, um, with the Kickstarter a number of years ago. I sent it out all around the world to be reviewed. Those reviews, uh, quotes from those reviews, are on the UFO Wave website. Uh, for those who are interested, it's uh, www.ufowavegame.com. UFOwave, uh, UFOwave.com had already been nicked by somebody. And I went and checked the website, and there wasn't even anything on it. I was like, oh. you know, they just swapped the address. Really annoying. Anyway, ufowavegame.com. Uh, on the website, you'll find full playthroughs. So if, if you're still confused by what I've said on the podcast here, you can go and watch it. You can go and watch a four-player game of it right the way through from start to finish. Uh, there is a solo mode in the game as well. Um, now, So the game is actually for one to six players, not two to six players. It upscales perfectly, so you can play it just uh, along against your partner or best friend or whatever. That's absolutely fine. But it upscales right to six players really, really well. Um, now the, the solo mode is, is in there it's not a throwaway thing I didn't do it just so I could say it's got a solo mode um, with the solo mode essentially you're taking out the other players but because you've got the scan line with the groups of humans still around it's essentially you against the scan you're essentially trying to get as many points as you can and play your cards in the right way to avoid the bad humans who are out there who are going to come to you because they're not going to anybody else because it's just you there so if you're not careful, you can end up with loads and loads of military men in black, all just, and that'll massively affect your score. And then at the end, you're given a, a, a sort of bronze, silver, or gold uh, level uh, for your for your playthrough. So you know, there is a solo mode in there, but I would say that it it's primarily made as a competitive. With with the solo mode, you have to remove some of the cards, uh, some of the uh, cards that you'd use against your opponents because they wouldn't made any sense in that in that mode. Um, but yeah, it's 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 great fun. Um, time and time again, uh, easy to understand, but complex enough to warrant sort of repeated play. And as I said, you can build up a strategy and learn the tactics and how how and when to play your powers to to gain the upper hand. So yeah, as I said, that's uh, essentially an overview of UFO Wave. I think. Awesome. And I just wanted to go back to the very start when we're talking about the artwork, the fabulous. Yes. I mean, I've been looking at it throughout. We've been talking. I've got it in front of me. I'm looking at the cards and looking at. It. I played this quite a few times, and it just makes me just listen to you now. Just makes me want to go play it again. And, <laughs> uh, wait for the UFO Wave World Championship in five years. Have you had, you had yeah. a, what's the maximum number of players you've had with it so far? Uh, only two. Um, two player. Yeah, yeah. Be partner, but I do play the solo game most times. Trying to get a partner interested, it's hard. He's too busy on Fortnite all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, yeah, looking at the cards, I mean, in the cards are good, good quality. I mean, I keep yeah, them in uh, packets, but yeah, it's effing about, effing about. It just looks professional, high quality, well thought out. Obviously, we know how much you you put into it. Even down to the little things, like talk about like the the harvest card and making sure it's obviously suitable for everybody but still 
showing that side of it. All these yeah. little sort of things. I think people that are in ufology would love because there's all sorts of little nods you'll, to you'll, stuff in there. Yeah, yeah. you'll see it. Be like, oh, like, like when I watch the film, nope. Like the little references, like where you sort yeah. of you only maybe only you'll get them because you're in totally. That feels that. That's yeah, really so you can totally play the game without a background. Now I know most of your listeners are going to have a background in UFOs, but you don't need to know the subject of UFOs to play UFO Wave at all. You could yeah. have no knowledge of it at all and have a great time with the game. Just I'd be all right then. Just view it like <laughs> just view it like any other sci-fi game. You know, it's absolutely fine. Um, but there's all sorts of nods to like to uh, cases and things in there as well. Just uh, not just in the artwork, but also in the wording on the cards and things. I've made. Uh, you, you'll see little bits in the wording that link towards actual real cases and things all the way through it. So it's uh, yeah, it, 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 I've had fun putting it together and and deciding how I wanted each of the cards to look and everything. It's been great. The, the the other one that caused contention actually was the uh, was including Area Fifty One. So on on the military card, it actually has Fifty One on the uh, it's on the hangar door on the ground. Uh, and I was like, are they going to allow this, or am I going to get shut down for showing this base in the cards without their permission or something like that? But I figured, I figured at this stage, yeah, with how public Area Fifty One is now, it's become part of UFO folklore. And it's it should be okay. It's gone in there anyway. I haven't had complaints yet. The American government hasn't got in touch with me and told me to remove it. But in the early days, I was thinking, shall I actually put the fifty one in there, or should I get it taken out? So at first, I got them to do it with just the just the hangar, just like an obscure, unknown military base. And then I was like, no, nah, I really want to get fifty one in there. Awesome. <laughs> so, in there. <laughs> so the the artist uh, you talked about, you said that he'd had experiences is that oh, yeah. something you can talk about yeah absolutely yeah um so yeah the, uh, so it was great to find out they'd had experiences uh not only just fascinating for myself talking with them about them but i thought it'd be an awesome selling point for the game so not only has it been designed by myself an active ufo investigator but it's also got artwork by somebody who's had genuine experiences um so Obviously, uh, yeah, that was that was absolutely fantastic to find out. Uh, and uh, to prove this point, we actually included one of his experiences in the instruction manual of the game itself. And he's actually drawn himself as a child, and he's drawn the craft that he saw when he was eight years old. Oh wow! Uh, and he had a close encounter with a uh, with a domed disc, uh, had uh, numerous yellow and green lights on it, had what looked like revolving wheels in the base of it. Uh, when he had this close encounter, uh, he actually got a telepathic vision of a uh, of a grey uh, in his mind. Now, at eight years old, he didn't know what that was. This was before he looked into UFOs or anything like that. So he didn't know what he was looking at, but he saw the face of a grey in his mind projected to him as a telepathic vision uh, at the same time as having that experience. Uh, it, it wasn't a, a, an amazingly long experience. You know, He went to get his family, and by the time they come back out, of course, the thing had gone. Isn't that always the way? I've dealt with so many cases where that happens. You know, like it's it's far too far too often for it just to just to be coincidence. Um, uh, if you look at any one case, you can say, "Oh, it's just coincidence." Uh, yeah, I, I leaned down to grab my camera, and that exact second when I leaned down, look back up, and it's gone. You look at that one case, you're like, "Okay, it's just random coincidence." You happened to look away, and then it went. Yeah, um, but I've dealt with like. <laughs> Tens, maybe, maybe even a hundred, maybe cases. I reckon back to back. If I went through them all, maybe not a hundred, but quite a few cases where people have said I lost sight of it for like three seconds, and when I went back, it wasn't there anymore. And it's just, 
it just happens too regularly for it not to be an aspect. You know, I think that they are aware they're being observed and for whatever reason, or maybe they're even aware that they're about to be photographed or filmed. If they're, if they're acting covertly, which they appear to be. And we're talking, we're talking about very advanced beings here, quite obviously by the aspects that come out in the cases, the time distortion, the screen memories, all sorts of weirdness goes on with the subject that shows that we're dealing with something extremely advanced. So why would that extremely advanced thing not be aware when it was about to be filmed? And, and, uh, using that logic, mm. it's entirely possible. And they, they, they may they may be telepathically reading the minds of the witnesses any time that people have a UFO sighting, even if it's distant. Like let's say it's on the horizon or whatever, they might even know. But then you know, there's no we don't know the rules to this. There's so much not set in stone with this subject that you can't just kind of chuck that out. You can't say okay because it's a mile away, it doesn't know it's being filmed. Why why would it get out of there when you went to get your camera? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure but I'm, I'm dealing with cases all the time i mean talking about recent stuff that's gone on there's a case investigating at the moment from dudley this happened start of march we're still in march are we yeah we're still in march yep. yeah three weeks ago uh flying triangle craft went right over his house in the evening uh and he was and it wasn't just him who saw it, it was also his carer who was at the house as well she didn't see it from outside uh she saw it from inside the living room the gentleman went outside onto his front drive and watched it fly directly overhead. Both of them said that it blocked out the stars. So we're not talking about three lanterns or three lights in a triangular formation. We're talking about an equilateral black-coloured triangle. The report on this hasn't gone out actually yet, so this is an exclusive. Um, uh, had um, kind of amber-coloured light at each corner, just in off the in off the three corners a, a little bit. But they both agreed that it was a solid black triangular craft uh, and uh, the, the guy said it was moving at first he thought it was completely silent but he said as it got nearer there's a weird electrical humming kind of sound coming from it right. uh, almost kind of electrical crackling kind of like static he couldn't feel any static electricity but the, but the sound it was making kind of reminded him of sort of like you know that crackling that you get off power lines a bit like that uh, and it yeah, went, right, went right over the house and carried on in the direction of Bell Broughton so yeah, it was up near up near Envil Way, Kimber. So yeah, it shows that cases are still going on. Anybody thinks the the UFO subject is not, and as as you guys know, you know you, you're getting in reports all the time of cases. It's it's still very much a, a real thing. I've I've seen news reports in in recent years, you know, saying ufology in the UK is dead. You know, I'm like, well, if that's the case, I'm out of the job then. Yeah, <laughs> might as well close up shop. Yeah. Mm. Um, but we're not just looking at historical sightings here. You know, there's things still going on now. Now, a lot of those things are obviously mundane, but I can't think of anything mundane that that could have been other than some kind of top secret government military craft. Yeah, that they have that they happen to be flying over Bell Broughton. Why would they? And if it had gone, if it had gone the same way, it would have headed right over Belbrot. Now it could have turned away. Who knows? Yeah, but it was going on a straight path. Yeah, it continued going. It would have gone right over Belbrot and Centre. Yeah, the the witnesses did look around online to see if anybody else had reported it, and they hadn't. So we don't know what happened to it after he lost sight of it. But on the the woods directly behind his house, so he yeah, once it had gone over the house and away, he couldn't see it anymore. Um, elderly chap so he didn't get into his car and try and chase it down it's very rare that i hear actually there's, there's only about a couple of cases i've ever investigated where anybody's like i if i saw like if i saw ufo and i wasn't 
and I was like had access to a vehicle nearby, I'd be like, I'd be giving it chase. I'd be like, I'm going to, yeah, I've lost sight of it. I'm going to get in the car and try and catch up with it. I mean, it would, yeah, wouldn't it? But, but it's very rare that that actually happens. Yeah. Most people just see, observe something. It goes out of sight, and then they're like, I lost sight of it behind the tree or whatever. And I'm like, okay, did you try to carry on after it to keep watching it? And they're like, no. But yeah, a lot of the time, people are just doorstruck after they've had the sighting, and they're just thinking about it and chatting about it with the family, whatever. Um, but yeah, it's just one of those things, isn't it? I mean, black triangles. I mean, they. they I mean, we we collect like you know of our database, and they're still one of the most popular type of sightings. Yeah, and they have been for decades now. It's just there always seem to be yeah them type of sightings. And Quite a lot, is... but I think that some of them are probably misidentifications of three objects that three glowing objects. Because any three glowing objects up in the sky is obviously going to form a triangular shape. Mm. And a lot of the time, people are going to, especially at a distance, are going to fill that in. They're going to be like, oh, there's an object in there, and I'm seeing lights on each corner. And they're not, they're seeing three separate glowing objects. Now, sometimes, like in the case I just went into, they confirmed that it was blocking out the stars. So, therefore, you have to assume yeah. it was a solid single thing. But a lot of the time, they, they don't, or it's at a distance. So I can see that you could sometimes get misidentifications. Then you've got stealth aircraft. Now, obviously, stealth aircraft, first of all, they're not, they don't tend to be flown over like cities and that sort of thing. So some of the more rural cases could be, could be test flights, military test flights, maybe of, uh, of latest stealth technology, maybe. Uh, but I can't, I can't imagine it, it applies to all flying triangle cases around the world. And then I've dealt with cases involving flying triangles and contact cases. So. I've dealt with cases where people have been abducted into flying triangles and and had an abduction experience with greys. So the, uh, and then there's other cases on record, like the famous one that took place up in Scotland, investigated by Malcolm Robinson, um, where they saw a landed flying triangle craft with grey beings walking around outside, well, floating around outside it. So there's all sorts of links linking it with the with the ufo subject with it being non-human i'm not saying that every flying triangle is is alien in origin at all quite a few of them could be human flown or could be back engineered craft maybe or something just entirely human made and not back engineered at all just some sort of new aircraft but that can't really apply to all the cases and and it definitely didn't apply to what took place in belgium in the mid 90s because that yeah. was the because mili- that was the military themselves were blown away with what was taking place they didn't know what they were dealing with and obviously some of those things were performing incredible maneuvers um and again the maneuvers these things can perform is the same as the other craft types isn't it you know they they can stop on a dime they can perform right angle turns they can shoot up thousands of feet uh, in, in split second um and sometimes they're absolutely huge in size i mean quite classic case obviously the uh the phoenix lights which um I mean, technically, all right. So technically, that was kind of more of a boomerang than a tri- than a flying triangle, but mm. I still suppose triangularish. Uh, yeah. I mean, that thing was giant. That thing was ginormous. I can't imagine for a second why the military would build something the size of two battleships and then fly it over a city, and then and then try and cover it up. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Did I talk to you guys about the, uh, the 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 witness that came forward on that the the Phoenix Lights witness? It was, a, it was a few years back. It was a uh, military witness to the Phoenix Lights I investigated. So we got another we got another witness come out of the woodwork, basically. It was a, uh, and I, ironically, he was a an experiencer, a contactee. So he'd had he'd had numerous uh, contact experiences uh, in his childhood, and a couple of UFO sightings. But his most recent sighting was essentially a, a sighting of the Phoenix Lights craft. 
uh, and he saw it while he was traveling home. He'd been out shopping in Phoenix with his partner and they were traveling back down to Tuscan along the main road that leads between Phoenix to Tuscan. Now, uh, if you remember the case, the, the, the object, as we'll call it, flew across Phoenix and then headed, headed southeast. And, and it, uh, the final sightings of it were in the outskirts of Tuscan to the southeast. He saw it on the road to Tuscan from a sideways perspective. So he heard it on the radio. He heard that there was um, that there was something being seen by people over the city. So he gets so he parts the car and he's got military background. He'd been working on the on the base on the outskirts of Phoenix, but on that particular week he'd, he he was off base. Um, so just spending time with his partner, and um, he stops the car on the side of the road and looks out to the desert, and it's just open desert out there. There's no lights on the edge of the road or street lights or anything like that, so it's really dark. But it was a clear night, and he essentially saw this huge black object with some white lights at the front of it, which obviously they triangulize. He's he's viewing them from the sideways perspective almost, so he could kind of see these kind of several twinkling white lights at the front. This massive thing just blocking out the stars, and it went along like that and went off. And he thought it was a um, he thought it was military. He thought this has got to be some sort of top secret military thing that mm-hmm. I haven't been told about. And when he was back on the base a couple of days later, he asked around, and that's where he found out that it wasn't anything to do with them. Uh, and at that point, he was like, "This is quite clearly not human." Uh, and he would know because he was actually working on the nearby base at the time. So yeah, that's from a military perspective. So it was really great when that came out of the woodwork, of, and it was so matter of fact because it was part of that case. We were just talking through stuff, and then it was like, wow, it's because uh, I was wondering whether I'd ever speak with uh, a Phoenix Lights witness because obviously I deal with cases from all around the world, yeah. So uh, I could, you know, you never know what cases are going to come my way. Uh, but I knew that there'd been a lot of witnesses with that with that incident, and it was great to finally talk to somebody, a new witness who'd never gone on the record before about that incident. And I absolutely put my money on it that he was that he wasn't making that up, that he was talking straight up. I could tell from from the description, uh, and the fact that he saw it at such a weird angle. It wasn't like if it was a fake story, why not say that it went right over your head and you saw the yeah, true yeah. boomerangs, you know, and all that. It wasn't like that at all. He saw it as he was going home from a side, almost sideways perspective. But again, it's another another witness to that case. Incredible. Awesome. That's, that's awesome. So I think that about wraps it up. UFO Wave is out now. It is. You can get a copy. Are you booked at any conferences yet this year? I'm booked at any conferences. Yeah, I'm, talk- I'm supposed to be talking on April 22nd and 23rd. Uh, down in uh, Southampton, that's an Encounters Conference. Uh, I believe that's going ahead. Uh, I'm and I'm scheduled to talk at Cornwall UFO uh, Research Groups Conference. I think that one's coming up in October, and then between then, I've got a few other group talks of various kind of UFO groups around the country. Uh, East Anglia UFO Group and a uh, group down in West Sussex around Bandy Thomas. So yeah, busy times. Awesome, awesome. So where can our listeners that are sure to go out and buy it, I, sure. I would highly recommend it. Where can they buy it from? Okay, so uh, so first of all, you've got the actual uh, the Amazon pages. So if you go onto Amazon.co.uk and you search UFO Wave and you scroll down, you'll find it in the listing. It might not be right at the top because there's other things called UFO Wave on there, but you'll you'll find it. Uh, the, as I said, the playmats are separate, so that's on there separately. You'd have to type type in UFO Wave playmat, and it's going to come up. Um, so you can purchase those. Uh, uh, if you do purchase it off Amazon, uh, please uh, leave a review after you've tried out the game. Not maybe like after you've played it like half a game and then because then you'll be like, 
I was all confused. Yeah, once you learn the game, yeah, you know, by all means, go and give it a review. So that'd be really great. And um, so, so that's on Amazon itself. Uh, the website, uh, which I mentioned earlier on, ufowavegame.com, on there you'll find links to the Amazon page. You'll find full playtest videos, and you'll even find a merchandise store. So if you like the artwork of UFO Wave, there's an active uh, merchandise store on the site. You can purchase T-shirts. You can purchase mouse mats. I've actually got one here with my company logo on. Uh, you can't purchase plushies of Bob yet, but uh, in the future maybe. I think you can get a teddy bear with a UFO Wave T-shirt on. It's strange. Uh, but, yeah, there's all sorts of things. There's some very nice mugs on there. Uh, I've, I've bought a collection of the clothing off the store to check it out, and I'm very pleased with the quality of the, uh, especially the T-shirts and the mugs. Really nice. Um, so, yeah, that's all on there. It's not, it's, it, none of this is to earn money. It's just really just a way of getting the game out there. And I just figured if people like the artwork, you know, they can go and get yeah. it on a, on a shirt or various items of clothing. Uh, and uh, yeah, there's also, yeah, as, uh, there's also quotes from the many, many reviews we've had of the game. So it's not just me telling you it's great. Do go and check out the reviews and see what game reviewers around the world have been saying about it. Um, if you're listening and it sounds like your thing, then I think you're going to absolutely love it. If, you've, if you're not really into card games, Give it a chance. Give it a try. And if you if you're adamantly not in the card games, maybe you've got like a family or friend that you want to buy it for, who, who you know would. There'll be, be somebody out there for <laughs> you to buy it for, definitely. But I think <laughs> I think anybody could pick it up um, after a couple of tries. You would be able to learn it. I've decided. I decided to keep it not too hard. Yeah, I wanted it to be approachable and and playable. Uh, both for people who are adept at card games and people that have barely played many before. So I think you'll have a fun time with it. Awesome, awesome. It's, it's amazing to see it on Amazon. Finally out, really made up for you, David. <laughs> I know it's been a, a journey and a struggle for you at times, so it's really, really, really happy for you to Thank see you. it finally out. Well done. Definitely, definitely. Cheers. Pursuit of the Paranormal with Ash and Greg.